2: Hi there, everybody, and welcome to the film board from The Next Reel on Rashpixel.fm. We spoil movies, and this month we've had a lot of fun mixing ourselves up because last month we decided to talk about yesterday, and it makes tons of sense because yesterday marked the day that everyone could see yesterday, and so of course we're going to talk about yesterday tonight. Pete, what day will people be able to listen to yesterday's episode? Um, Three yesterdays from now. That's Tuesday? You'll get yesterday on Tuesday? I don't know yeah. who's counting. If today is yes. Tuesday...
0: If you're listening on Wednesday, if you're listening yesterday. and
2: today is Tuesday, welcome to yesterday. <laughs> what happened? Oh, electricity flicked off
1: all over the world. She
3: <laughs> Yesterday... Ellie bought you a present.
1: All my troubles seem wow. so far away.
0: Now it looks as though they're here to say,
2: oh, why?
1: Billy then yesterday. Oh Why did you write that?
0: I didn't write it. Paul McCartney wrote it. The Beatles. Who? Do you guys like the Beatles? Oh man. I love the Beatles. <laughs> oh yeah. Big Beatles
2: fan. I sure do. This movie has been described as a love letter to the legendary Fab Four, and much of the script comes off a bit like an Easter egg hunt for fan service to those deeply connected people to the emotion and resonance of Beatles music. We're going to get into it all and the mythology of this story that deletes the Beatles legacy from existence. But first, since we have uh, three of us present tonight, let's each call dibs on a favorite Beatle. I'll go last, so I'm pretty sure who I'll end up with, but first call on favorite beetle goes to steve sarmento uh
3: george harrison is actually my favorite and there's a great mm. documentary on netflix that martin scorsese did it's close to three hours i really grew in my appreciation of george thanks to that documentary
2: But you first for a reason how about you pete i uh i also
0: have great respect for george but i am in my heart of hearts a paul
2: you're a Paul, yeah. So now I didn't expect that. I tried to engineer this order in, 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 or, you know, in, for a reason. I tried to manipulate the order here because I'm you, usually was a I Paul a Ringo
0: too. to you? Am I a <laughs> no, Ringo to you, JJ? No, see,
2: I, I just kind of assumed. Well, I did think we were going to have four tonight too, so that's kind of where I got messed up with this a little bit. But I kind of was kind. I was thinking that I was going to end up with Ringo, but now you're a totally. Paul guy too. I think you're a John. Uh, well, I'll be John now, which makes sense. But I was going to say <laughs> Ringo because I think Ringo's really underrated. Totally. A lot of times. Yeah. totally. And I think that what he brought to percussion is actually kind of something special that a lot of people don't give him credit for and all this stuff. But, but regardless, key point is, I'm a Paul guy too. I'm glad we all have these different points there and stuff like that. So this is all about the Beatles. And then there's a great, or I shouldn't say great, we should talk about how we feel about the story here too. There's a really interesting story to talk about too and how this came to the cinema. So let's get into initial thoughts about yesterday what'd you think pete
0: yeah i found myself uh okay so andy who is not here he he was talking to me in in our our discord channel and he said what did you think of the movie and i said either this movie is exceptional or i am an idiot sap for this kind of stuff because i i'm hopeful that it's both because I found myself really transfixed by it, I think they use the music beautifully. Uh, I think it's a Cinderella story uh, that uh, is told uh, cleverly. Uh, the The talent on screen was uh, exceptional uh, in our our lead uh, protagonist here, and I think the uh, the love story just hit me right in the feels. I I thought this this movie did a great job, and and there was some strangeness at the end that I can't wait to talk about because uh, it it has me questioning my own sense of of moral right and what I was actually <laughs> what I actually found myself cheering for. So uh, I'm I'm sure you are the right people to get into this with.
2: I think so, too. And I think that's interesting because I think that there is a a good challenge to be put in terms that you're doing for yourself to hear and talking about whether you're just sappy or whether it's a really great story. So what did you think, Steve Sarmento?
3: I enjoyed it. I had some story Issues. Or if, as Andy would say, there's some quibbles to be had with this. Sure. It's I, I really wanted to this this to be a really perfect film. I love Richard Curtis, Danny Boyle. There's just a few little bumps in it that just prevented me from being all out in love with this movie. I still really enjoy it. I agree, I recommend it. I think people will have a great time with this. But we can get into some of the little nitpicky issues. And I and I think getting to Pete's point about the maybe the moral of the story or, or what's going on. Um, I think the lack of clarity there is, is one of the things that I want to get into. Cause I think it prevents this from really swelling to a great ending.
2: Yeah. And I think, I think we, all felt a little bit of a pee under our mattress with this, uh, you know, story in that because I think it's meant to be something that's wrapped up nice, and neat in a bow. And there is a minute, a minute here where if you take a step back and think about what's really happening, it might not be as as comfortable as you want it to be. And I think that's my thing about this story in particular. But I'll go with what you're saying, Pete, and I'll, uh, you know, in a general feeling too, Steve. I, I really liked the movie. I'm going to recommend it to lots of people. And it's going to it's going to be a really interesting thing. I want to compare it somewhere down the line to Across the Universe here as well, oh. because uh, in conversations that I've had with uh, Tommy Hansom and some other people about Across the Universe, it's really interesting when you really try to infuse Beatles music with a story and what actually happens to what you do there. And I think there's so much that you can do to give, you know, I mentioned in the intro here, the resonance and the experience of what the Beatles were doing. But something misses because the magic is really with that group. And that's kind of what the story is. So let's, before we get into any of the details here, let me give a quick synopsis of what's happening. We have Jack, uh, this Jack is a struggling singer songwriter that has Ellie managing him uh, and is tragically crushing on him as well throughout the movie. And then after they have this big gig and it goes poorly, he suggests that he's going to quit. But Ellie of course, wants him to keep up with the dream. And then there's a freak accident. There's this global EMP. I don't understand what that is all about, but, uh, and of course it's uh, preceded by the, uh, the legendary wall of sound, which I think is a nice uh, tribute back to the Beatles there, but it knocks out all of anything operating on any power. And Jack is then hit by a bus and uh, he wakes up in a world where he is one of the terribly few people that remembers the Beatles music. He capitalizes on this and skyrockets to prominence as he records and performs some of the greatest pop music songs of all time. So where do we start? Um, you know, I already am bringing up some of my quibbles with, you know, whatever the science fiction aspect of it here. <laughs> it's but, a fairy um,
3: tale. It's a fairy tale. I think you have to take so, that approach to it.
2: And that's fair. We yeah. All three of us kind of brought up what is the main store point of this story? Because we get a lot of Jack sort of weighing his shame about plagiarism, um, or then you get this, he has fame versus love. So is, is, are we learning through the story that love is the best choice because of the big leap that he has to take in the movie? Or is it telling us we should follow our dreams regardless? Or is it just telling us that the music industry is trash? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, what For you guys, let's start with you, Pete, uh, because you alluded to this a little bit in your intro. What was the point of this story for you?
0: Well, it, you know, this is very much that Cinderella story that, you know, where the, the guy is, he has these hopes and dreams and he's just about broken and and or we'll say the protagonist has these hopes and dreams just about broken, total, you know, stretch of hopelessness and ultimately is about to make the decision to do the thing that is positioned as the thing of, of like least resistance and possibly fueled by regret. He keeps saying, I guess I could go back to teaching. Right. That is the that's the thing I could do that that would you know, I could make an income and it would be and then he is gifted great power. In in the form of this magical event that allows him to know all the Beatles, you know, to remember the Beatles when nobody else can. And that is a that is his his transformation. And at some point it's going to strike midnight and he's going to have to come back to reality. And this is a story of him having that power and learning what it feels like to have that power. And then ultimately to now with the gift of comparison to be able to go back and say, you know what, it turns out. The highest form of contribution that I have to the world, even with this gift of the Beatles that nobody else has, is to give it all away and to actually go back and do the thing that I thought was going to be of, uh, you know, the, the filled with regret. I'm going to teach. I'm, I'm going to do this thing. And, and to me, this movie was just infused with that feeling of appreciation for the arts and to have that little coda at the end uh, where we actually see him in the classroom. Uh, Was was really delightful. And then to hear how Danny Boyle talked about this film and teachers and how he he actually intentionally did that right to to celebrate teaching and to celebrate the arts. I thought that was really special. So this is that journey of of uh, Jack to to all come back around to where his heart was. And I, I think that's, that was really special. It did so in a way, I just have to add as a preface to, I know the quibbles that you guys have about the sci-fi. It did so in a way that for me, uh, allowed me to skip all of those questions. I found it such a okay. special experience that, um, that I, it, once I was asked by the film, don't ask anymore about why the lights went out we we know it's weird, don't worry
2: about it. It was super easy for me to forgive everything else. And I think that's a total fair point. But in these kinds of movies, like we talk about Happy Death Day and the you know talk about the turn off the lights, right? They use it as a thing throughout the film. The mythology of that or connecting those dots for me is something that I really like about movies. So again, I you're right. This is Cinderella. We shouldn't ask those questions, but at the at some point, like, why are there three people that remember the Beatles?
0: Yeah, and I think that's a great uh, yeah. that's a great question and ultimately kind of a useless one. And I think that part of and J.J., I'm I'm totally with you because I'm one of those guys I like to retrace to follow the breadcrumbs. but yeah. But I think the movie was pretty intentional about saying don't follow the breadcrumbs right they, they they have this thing this conversation between them on the hospital bed that i think is really special where she says nobody gets it nobody understands right. yeah. why we're just going to yeah. move forward we're going to hang a it's lantern great. on this and and to me that was instructional that allowed me yep. to 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 just kind of hang up that side of my head and focus instead on on the love story on the the mechanics of the music leading me into the montages i mean i thought it was just it was great
3: I, i'm not hung up on the sci-fi 'Cause I am willing to let that go and approach this as a fairy tale. So I'm I'm fine with that of it's an unexplicable global event and I can let that go and I can accept that and I think that's fine. I have issues sort of as JJ talked about like with Happy Death Day, when you have when you're gonna set rules up. So it's not just the Beatles, it's Coke. And it's also cigarettes. Yeah, and I thought stuff. And so for me, I thought, okay, why Coke? Is it just for the joke on the plane when he asked for Coke? And the stewardess looks at him like, what? And he's like, oh, well, you know, uh, a Pepsi. And, and like, <laughs> that was okay. a funny joke. Okay, that but is, funny is, though, it, is that sufficient for the payoff? And then cigarettes. And again, so why those things? Oasis makes Very sense fun. to me as a band being influenced by the Beatles. If there were no Beatles, we have no Oasis. Um, right. But, you know, why cigarettes and Coke? So that, that troubled me. And then the other issue with the Oasis in the story is, it's such a key pivotal po- moment between Jack and Ellie that's brought up multiple times and there's no payoff to that point. I I fully expected him to bust out singing Wonderwall at one point to to win her back because that's the oh, core because
2: that's the song that that's, initially won that's her. The, what a great thing. It's the
3: foundation to that and I thought yes. because Oasis isn't there he knows that song It's foundational to their relationship, and it gives us another opportunity for him to really be honest with her. And maybe he he woos her with that song and has to tell her that that's not the song. He didn't actually write that song. So those are the those are the story quibbles I have. Not so much the the fairy tale aspect of it. It was more structural pieces in terms of their relationship and then the rules within the universe.
0: Yeah, I can I can 100 percent see that, Steve. And in fact, it's it's one of the things that like as as he finished playing uh, all you need is love and the brass band, you know, kind of clears yeah. off the stage. Right. And he starts to th- say, I, I, I'm with you. Like my emotional momentum would have been fulfilled with that, that sort of punchline. Yeah. Uh, right. But that would have been really strong.
2: I can see that. So the interesting thing about uh, you bring up those other things, right? So we have Oasis, we have cigarettes, we have uh, Coca-Cola. And Harry Potter. And Harry Potter. So the interesting thing is that Richard Curtis was not the first one to write this story. It's not his idea. And Richard Curtis came in and saw it as a really sort of big potential idea. And that's where it came from. So the interesting thing that I've read, and I put this in the story notes, there's a Wall Street Journal story about how this story came together all together. And the guy's name, I want to get the guy's name who has the the original idea his name is jack barth and jack barth it sort of personalizes himself in the story and he believes the harry potter thing in particular he talks about that he was a guy who was has been writing screenplays and has been doing this and he imagined a world where it fell away, but Harry Potter was left to him. And he's like, I probably would have screwed that up anyway.
1: I, would, <laughs> uh, I couldn't have done it. So the
2: interesting thing the Wall Street Journal article has in here, and I put it in, uh, it's in the link as original, in the original material here, is that um, he's saying that what uh, he's written in the story is is exactly how he feels as a person. That even if he was given the gift or the power of wonderful content that he still would have difficulty executing it. And that's a really interesting idea here. Richard Curtis came in and made it a big movie. So now we have yesterday. I think that's a it's a cool creative idea for how the story got made.
0: Well, you know, and I think that's actually a they they captured that really beautifully in the movie itself. You know, when he is initially gifted the the, uh, uh, you know, the Beatles and he tries playing it in pubs, nobody gets it like nobody understands the Beatles
3: until until right, there's an inciting
0: incident. Yeah, I mean, it's still just him.
3: Well, I think that gets into the issue of can art be successful when it's removed from the culture that it was created in? And, you know, we go back to, uh, you know, Back to the Future with Marty playing a song. He's like, ah, oh, you aren't ready for that, but your kids are going to love it. This is awesome. The Beatles. Awesome are we reference. past the point where it has, it, it came out of out of the 60s and what was going at that time. And the, the one mention we get is Ed Sheeran saying, well, gosh, you wrote that on the plane. Why would you call it the USSR? It probably hasn't been called that since before you were born. That's the one moment we get a sense of these are songs that applied to a different era. Yes, there is a universality to the Beatles songs. They've they've endured for many years, but the conditions that created them... The culture, society, what was going on were unique to a specific point in time. And they they don't really get into that. They do touch on you can't sort of just walk in somebody's shoes. You can't write these songs unless you've been to these places. You know, there's that. I like that. That piece. I like that idea. But it, it really, you know, I struggle with the idea of these early, early Beatles songs from the 60s being top Billboard hits in 2019. Is is In a world that is so much more, I know, especially youth culture in such a different place than it was in the 60s. Is that as a song about I want to hold your hand going to resonate with kids nowadays?
2: Well, how did you guys feel about Across the Universe? because this is I mean yeah. that's the same issue right I yeah. mean you bring up the fact that this was uh, of a time and place it was of the 60s and I think the interesting thing about it across the universe is that it's really it's a patchwork story that's made that it's more like a musical review of Beatles songs and that's kind of the thing like you can have lots of quibbles with the story the story kind of falls apart when they're you know naming all the characters after yeah. the different people from yeah. Beatles songs all this stuff but this is the point that you're making here right is that it's from a different space and now you're trying to apply Strawberry Fields Forever to something that isn't actually Strawberry Fields Forever, or you're trying to apply, I want to hold your hand in a modern progressive sense. This, This all happens in Across the Universe, which I think is really interesting because I liked it, but just because I liked the Beatles music and I liked it as a musical review. So in... In, across the universe, I was able to divorce myself from that. In this, it's kind of a completely separate thing where like if depending on how you feel and, and Pete, honestly, I think what you talked about here and the quote you have from Danny Boyle talking about how teaching being the guardians of a nation uh, a nation, and passing on the soul. That seems like a great vehicle for the, the the emotional resonance that the music of the Beatles have. I think that's a great story to tell here. If you can get that from this film, then you're going to come along with this ride. You're not going to have a problem um, in how it's separate from your own Beatles music experience. And so I, I dug that, and, but I liked Across the Universe, too, even though it was somewhat nonsensical to that point. So, um Yeah, I think it's interesting that everything that's coming out of the Beatles in this is completely full on fiction from what we're doing, from what, you know... Was history. We don't see a biopic on, on the Beatles here.
0: Well, and it isn't that part of the statement, though. I mean, so much of the statement is exactly a, a celebration of the Beatles' music and its timelessness. I think you have to right. grant uh, Curtis's interpretation of the idea and Danny Boyle and their love of the Beatles as um, you know inseparable from this movie's position that the Beatles ultimately can be accepted by any time even if the custodian of the Beatles in this case Jack is ill equipped to have the conversations about what the Beatles represent like and even after he's gone to Strawberry Fields and even after he's gone yeah. he's seen Eleanor we'll Rigby's grave he still yeah. doesn't quite get it and and tr- watching him try to explain hey Jude to Ed Sheeran <laughs> yeah. is, is deeply comical because he doesn't get it but the song right. is inseparable from the time as is as is the statement of the film in my view right
3: right well i think that's what sort of the reason for the other two characters that remembered you know to say it's yes you know they're he's relieved because they're not out to get him to to rat him out they're just there to thank him to say we so appreciate that these are now back in the world and that there is you know the importance of art to enrich people's lives and that's that's one part that i I found an interesting approach to that with those characters to say, even if it's not the originals in a different format, they are there and it makes the world a better place that they are out there and that there are some pieces of art that improve the quality of life for people.
0: So, Steve, I need I need your help on this because this is this is exactly where I where I struggled. Uh huh. The whole film, I too, like I, I'm assuming others in the audience, were wrestling with the fact that this guy is has such success. And Jack is clearly wrestling yeah. with the fact that he's having such success uh, and he's having it on the backs of of these, you know, mm-hmm. the Beatles and the music he hasn't written. We right. know that that is, uh, um, uh, you know, on a, on a, it's a moral ill. <laughs> right? Yes. Right. Okay. He's living a right. lie these two other characters come in here and the statement i feel like the film is trying to make here is that you are absolved it is a greater good that you serve to bring this incredible music back to the world in a way that we can all celebrate it given that we don't have the original you know purveyors of the right. art here right it is a greater good that it exists than the ill that you are living a lie
2: through it mm-hmm.
0: okay and i was done there. Like I was okay. I was okay. okay. I wanted him to continue to live the lie.
2: I thought it was great and I didn't get that they were going that way. That was a great turn. Yes. I didn't think that that's what they were going to do and the moment uh played by Himesh Patel there mm-hmm. and how his relief Yeah. sure. after you know having nightmares about his own plagiarism and the and the you know the ethics of what he was doing it was played really well. I thought it was fantastic.
0: Yes. And now wow. we get to the final moment where he stands up on stage and he has Rocky upload all the music and he tells the world that he didn't write the music right now. This is where everything falls apart for me,
3: right? This is where it falls apart. Why does it fall apart for you? For me, I I struggle with what they're trying to say. My takeaway is from this and I'm, this is just my interpretation of this. It gets, back into things that i've been fascinated with for for several years which is the whole remix culture where you know and intellectual property rights so he is absolved of his guilt by giving it away so if you take someone else's content make it modify it make it your own you are only okay if you give that away it is not appropriate for you to profit from that and this is the whole thing with like disney and you know they once they own something they own it in perpetuity and nobody's a, there's no public domain anymore and there's lots of arguments about you know the public commons that space and how that increases creativity and productivity and uh, within the arts and what i saw was an argument against that saying original ownership is of primary importance and if somebody else takes it and does something with it that's fine they just should not profit from that And that made me very upset because I thought in the 60s, you used to have how many people would do versions of each other's songs all All the time, time. all the time, all the time. You go, you know, Aretha
2: Franklin's and Eleanor Rigby.
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you know, the Rolling Stones and then Buddy Holly and the Grateful Dead, they were all, you know, you'd hear one song five different ways. And that no longer exists because ownership is tied to, you know, monetary value. And if you give it away, you know, that's. You shouldn't because you are, I guess, not exercising your creative authority on your intellectual property. So it fell apart for me there when he he gave it away. I thought, no, you have been absolved of your guilt because the public good by you putting those back out there. That's what those two characters did to say. No, no, it's okay because that's important that they're out there and that makes the world a better place. And I was perfectly content with that. And I was extremely disappointed when he felt like he had to give it away
0: for that free. Was, that was absolutely, absolutely what I was hoping that you would say, because that is <laughs> put into words exactly what I felt. This felt like a remnant of the Hayes Code. You know what I mean? Like where, it, you, yeah. you know, we would have this morality <laughs> code where, um, you know, we just did this in in uh, the Hitchcock movie uh, with the kissing, the three minutes of kissing. And I yeah, we just Talked about, I can't remember it is. Anyway, it was, um, uh, uh, the it was uh, they they couldn't kiss for three minutes er, for for longer than a certain amount of time, and so uh, Hitchcock had them like kiss, 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 and then talk, and kiss, kiss, kiss. It's one continuous move through the living room, and it's great. They shoehorn in the talking in order to get around the the frustrations right. of the of the you know moral. Uh, police morality police this is the copyright police it felt like to me this was the cold hand of business reaching in and saying you've done a you've made a great movie and it's enough right? It's enough because it tells a sweet story about sweet people achieving a sweet thing for the world. And we have this vessel who is going to give the word of the Beatles to the people, and it's going to be great. He is the Messiah, the musical Messiah from the mountaintop. (laughs) By the way, you can't actually say that legally. So we need you to put in this 15 second scene that that, it's going to break some things, but we're going to have to be okay with that. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Bye-bye.
2: I agree. <laughs> yes. Well, and now you know yeah. a whole lot has been cut from this movie, right? That there was an entire storyline with 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 a different character. There was a full love triangle. Uh, Anadarmis was supposed to be yeah. in it. Yeah, she so she he meets he supposedly meets her in Los Angeles. And there's a whole scene when he's on the James Corden show right. when they do another payoff. He says he says, "Well, write something right now. Just write something." Yeah, yeah. Like, "You're so amazing writer. Like just write something." So he writes something in the way she moves and Anna is on the or Anna is on the couch with him and they have this connection. So yeah. it leads to their Their love triangle, but they cut that entire piece from the movie and it was said that she was stunning in it. So it's really unfortunate that they cut it out. The interesting thing that I think that I've read about it is that they didn't want to do that because they didn't want his eyes to stray at all. And I think that's really interesting because I never got the feeling that Jack... Himesh Patel liked anyone in the movie ever <laughs> at no point did I find he was, he had any chemistry with anyone involved because he was just sort of this irreverent sort of, you know, flighty, gregarious singer songwriter, and that everybody wanted to be a part of him and no, he didn't want to be a part of anyone else.
3: Yeah. I mean, Ellie's whole conversation about, Oh, you've put me in this column. I mean, that gets to the, to me, that set up the whole thing of it since they've, they've known each other since seventh grade. So his whole perception of her is you're my manager you're my friend there is no romantic piece there
2: right so it's i straying yeah, yeah
3: yeah so i you know it, it created an interesting dynamic that i i found intriguing with the reveal of you know she's been waiting for 20 years for him to to realize that you know she's in love with him and he hasn't done that because he's been on his you know quest to be you know it's been his music has been his primary Love So well, yeah,
0: but, but wait add- a minute. There's a bigger question there for both yeah. of you guys, though. The fact that he didn't have demonstrate any uh, any sort of romantic intention with Ellie or anybody else is sort of separate from the fact that I wanted him to right yeah did you see that like did you feel did that he, way
2: d- did he know that ellie was being played by lily james because <laughs> i would like to tell him <laughs> that he should stand i mean rocky tried to tell him like yeah. what were you waiting for dude yeah. like she's she's yeah. amazing yeah. amazing and but no so the, and that was i mean it was a little unbelievable it was a little difficult for me with the character i couldn't buy the the, the actual sort of tension that they were supposed to have mm-hmm. that I never witnessed, that was it was difficult for me. I, it didn't make me hate the story, but it did make me question the turn at the end. Like, how does it come together after all of that? yeah. Anyone? Oh, I bought it.
0: I bought it. I, okay, I bought it because good. I wanted them to. Like I that, I feel like fair. they set it's it up. It's a love actually
2: thing, right? It is. I mean, that's... sure,
0: sure, sure, sure. And I think that was okay, right? I mean, they set up the 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 romantic momentum enough that I I was invested in them becoming a couple, even if even if he was so oblivious that he just didn't get it through most of the movie. I think he played it right. a, a really well. She was transcendent. He was uh, perfectly was oblivious and. Uh, a, and what a wonderful discovery he is as a talent like get get him yeah. in more stuff and sing. Great it. singer too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I
2: don't know yeah. if you
0: guys have have uh, spun up the soundtrack to this thing but it's you know it's all him singing yeah. all Beatles tunes and it's incredible. Yeah.
2: His voice is pretty special. It's from another yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, each of the each of the Beatles has their own unique sound and yeah. he's doing it. He's, he's doing it. Uh what did you, so now I've heard a lot of criticism of Kate McKinnon. I will tell you I need to I I I wish I could uh, be on Kate McKinnon's team because I'm a huge fan of hers, and really want to like hang out in her kitchen, just like serving her donuts. I don't know. Um, I she can't do anything wrong for me. I really like her, and I didn't feel like she was over the top. I thought she was perfect. So, how did you guys feel about her playing the the evil industry representative?
0: Uh, Steve, you want to go first? Donuts. Uh, yeah, I said donuts. I, you said,
3: <laughs> I, I just, I feel like I don't, uh, there's something, I guess, different from, and I guess it's, you know, on Saturday Night Live, you're on the stage and you, when you're on the stage, you have to go bigger for things to come across the camera. And I think in film, you get so much, the camera is so much closer, more intimate, but she's always out at 11 with everything that it, ju- it just yeah. felt so cartoonish. And I think there's there's a way to play the, you know, evil, corrupt, you know, corporate person without being that much of a cartoon. And that that was that was my big struggle with that. I, I know what that part, what its function is, what it's supposed to do. But I don't know if it's just facial expression, what it is, but it just felt like she was in a different movie altogether going way too far.
0: Yeah, I I had a a similar struggle. Um it, it, it's troublesome because I too really really like uh Kate McKinnon. I think she's fantastic and she's fantastic when she's over the top. She's also fantastic when she's when she's playing it straight. I think she's just uh she's just great. And this movie was was interesting. I think I could have I I would have been okay if she was the oddball character. Uh if we didn't have the character of Rocky
2: Mm. Uh, See that's what yeah. I was gonna say. Yeah. yeah, you've got Rocky who was just set up for comedic effect too. He right, I mean, he also, didn't have anything.
0: He was also great, right? He yeah. he yeah. delivered some of the most fantastic bits in the movie. His exchange with Ed Sheeran on the plane about how Gingers oh. can't rap uh, <laughs> oh was was ju- I mean, it just slayed me. It slayed me, and so, so uncomfortable. It was yeah. so uncomfortable, and and so I feel like we had a great thing with him. Uh, and and yeah. then, you know, back to Kate McKinnon's side, like we have this, there is a whole sort of infrastructure that we meet and and the fact that we go into the, the Lamorne Morris led marketing meeting, the yeah. marketing meeting above all meetings, whatever they call it. I think it was just yeah. really fantastic. And that that is another character that I think would have was was riding that line between, you know. What we really get. I mean, I've been in those marketing meetings where everybody applauds at every other line. I mean, it's just uh, it's it's amazing that those things exist and yet they exist. And I feel yes. like Kate McKinnon brought so much more SNL, Kate McKinnon and and crossed the line in a way that the comedic characters became overkill in this movie. And it was yeah. just too much. I needed a standout and then I needed everybody else to play
2: it straight. and And I just right.
0: I didn't quite get that.
2: I loved it. I was totally down for it. And I'm glad you mentioned Joel Fry. I, uh, yeah, I was generally that kind of uncomfortable humor just makes me uncomfortable. So, uh, it was hard for me, but you're right. He did a really good job there too. Um, you brought up Ed Sheeran. Was, was he acting or he must've been right. That's he's, that's, that's who he is playing, playing in the, in the
0: Ed Sheeran cinematic universe. Yes. He was playing that Ed Sheeran. I mean, if you've ever seen him interviewed, it's he's pretty close. Like he's, but yeah. but he was definitely, yeah. you know, when you have these moments where he says, you know, you've got to do, hey, dude, uh, and, yeah, do 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 do. I mean, it's just, I mean, that that was <laughs> that was cartoonish. But I I actually I thought I was going to hate everything about it, and I am a fan of Ed Sheeran, yeah. whatever that means. I love Ed Sheeran's music. I think he yeah. is a, a a terrific musician, and. Uh, I thought I was going to hate him in this thing, and I didn't. I came away thinking he was a he was a utility player in this movie, and he yeah. served a great role. And when he bows out after the songwriting challenge, mm-hmm.
2: uh, is one of the highlights of the film. His uh, good song was about uh, penguins too. Yeah, I yes. know that. Yeah. yeah, which was actually funny and wonderful at the same time, <laughs> yeah. which I think is really kind of special. So that's cool. and beautiful. Um, yeah, a beautiful song
0: about penguins. <laughs> I wanted that to be on the soundtrack. I did not see it on the soundtrack.
3: Oh, it's not. No. Oh, of course not. He's that. gonna come it. on. That's an Ed Sheeran property. He's gonna keep <laughs> <IP>? that releasing <laughs> on his mouth. <laughs> I- yes, come on.
2: So John shows up. All we get is his name, John. And that's so someone put in Robert Carlyle. Yeah. Is he yes. uncredited? He's uncredited. He's, he's uncredited, right? he's uncredited but, you, you, but that was Robert got, Carlyle.
3: It was Robert Carlyle. Yeah. yeah, which
2: is fantastic. And so now and I felt like, you know, for me, I was like, oh, I, know, I know that guy. I recognize him, but I couldn't figure out who he was. So yeah. I'm glad you guys could.
3: Um, oh, I didn't recognize him. I had, to, I had to search because when oh, he, you did, when, when that, that door opened, there was an audible gasp from the entire audience Yeah, yeah. It was because crazy. they were just like, that's John. I mean, so. So <laughs> first why did they uncredit
2: him? Is it,
3: I, do I don't, think this
2: is a Danny Boyle thing of like, this is the spirit of John. We don't,
3: I don't know. It's just it's keep the mystery alive. I love it. If yeah. that's what it is. I think Poly- Polygon
2: actually has a terrific article that says
0: how the director and writer of yesterday pulled off the big cameo. And, and it really talks about, uh, the, you know talks about why they would bring this particular beetle you know in this in this whole thing and it's really you know it's a great um sort of love letter to the to the men of the Beatles. right that's just this this yeah. is why we're going with John this is why we're going to we're going with John and and you know not Paul and and uh you know the others who who obviously exist cuz the music got written um it, it, you know the people were there the people? Were there the the band? Yeah. Was there and we needed a way to celebrate? You know, uh, speaking words of wisdom and and have that yeah. scene. Uh, and and I didn't see it coming either. And uh, you know, I didn't see it coming. I knew something was happening. I knew you know when the car is driving along the beach. I knew we were going to go meet somebody special.
3: But I didn't. Right. I didn't.
0: I wasn't able to pick John.
3: No, it made sense for me. I, I was like wondering if it was going to be Paul. I was wondering if it was going to be Ringo playing themselves when it was John. I thought, OK, interesting choice. And then the conversation about the quality of life that he's had. And, you know, to me, that was a, you had to have John there for that because of I think that any of the Beatles that paid the highest price for their celebrity, it's it's John. And so right, yeah. for, for him... A
2: statement in that, right? It yeah. is. Yeah. And so
3: to me, that's, that's the scene that needs to happen to justify the, I'm walking away from the fame because this relationship, this is what's going to make me happy and that's more important. To have John there for that was key for the success of the story. Jack's line, Jack
2: was the perfect audience surrogate in those moments because Jack's lines about... I'm actually going to get emotional talking about it, but him saying, how old are you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you you made it this old because so many people were so emotional when John died. And that's just I, I just think that's fantastic. So I, I loved that those moments, even though I didn't really understand how it fit in the story. This goes back to that Cinderella concept, right? We don't need to ask. Let's just uh let's just enjoy it and let's 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 live in that. And I think that's great. Yeah,
0: yeah. That was it for me. And I think Robert Carlyle, obviously they've been friends oh, uh, with Fanny Boyle and and Oh, they go back since, years, you know, years, train yeah. spotting. And and so yeah. uh there there's something to that. He is also I, I did not know, and I'm a huge Carlyle fan. I've watched him in all of his TV stuff, and I just I I you know, I, I, I love what he does. And um I I am now it's difficult to look at him and not see John Lennon. <laughs> right? <laughs> he did. This is. is one of those movies that is just... <laughs> Whoever flipped. did it. Yeah, that was yeah.
2: perfect. It's perfect.
0: They brought yeah. his inner John Lennon out, and now it's yeah. all I get.
2: Uh, as far as the camera I do want to say one thing there so, we talked way back when and we just did our re-ranking this morning so I'm thinking about it too but we talked way back when in child 44 about cameras in the woods looking at the things happening that were happening out in the in the world and it representing no one in the woods the camera did that a couple times in this movie which bothered me uh, the, and it did it for the sake of art right we wanted a, a a motion control shot that followed people as they walked along the beach and we wanted something in the foreground to dirty the frame but in general it didn't represent anyone in the story right so it made for a really weird third person choice i don't know whose choice that was but that kind of stuff bothers me when it's in movies it totally took me out of the movie i was like oh who's who's watching them (laughs) who's who's spying on them as they're moving around (laughs) yeah so um did you guys have any other camera things that you thought were interesting in this
0: well, I mean, it, it's funny to see a movie like this, that it, it felt it, it felt like it was shot big. And some of those, you know, sequences you're talking about, JJ, those are generally, they look great on a big screen. Even if, if they're sure. taking you out of yeah. the film, it's shot big. And, and you know, the sequences that celebrate the music, the rooftop concert sequence, I thought yeah, was just was exceptionally great. beautiful. I'm a big fan of Christopher Ross. We, we've talked about him on the show in Room, uh, which was a, a film we covered on the Speakeasy. Uh, and he was a camera behind a number of episodes on one of my very favorite television shows misfits uh uh, on bbc so i am i i'm an unabashed fan of of this guy's camera work and i think him uh, you know working with danny boyle was just a great uh, a great mix even if if the camera ended up being an out-of-body experience in some sequences uh some of the you know helicopter or drone shots whatever they were i'm assuming a drone for cost efficiency now uh
2: of the of the concert well some of the stuff on the beach was actually definitely cable cam type thing Yeah, really i could tell oh yeah you, you know you had you had the pre-concert shots as they were uh, either panning left to right mm-hmm. and you saw they actually had shots where they had the, the background a- actors waving up and saying hello to the camera yeah that stuff was definitely suspended cables but they didn't use it a lot they didn't use it in the in the concert scenes at all so oh, they paid yeah. for it but they didn't shoot it which i thought was really interesting
0: well that's really interesting i, I wanted to comment on that and and see what you thought of how they shot the concert stuff because the concert stuff you know i didn't notice any of the cable stuff and i know you've shot cable in concerts i was curious why they would not have done that because it seemed like a perfect opportunity to really showcase the music and do it in a way that we're already accustomed to visually they kept everything on the ground
2: here's my guess uh i i don't think it looked big enough I think they wanted it to look really big. Yeah. And so I think they pulled back when they did crowd shots, they did wides. We did see that one that I'm mentioning before the concert starts that gives us a sense of place. Right. That's the whole idea. And they are you talking about the rooftop one or Wembley or what? It's it's the I think it's the rooftop concert yeah, at the hotel. and they do a pan that's a suspended uh, like a cable cam shot across the crowd and the crowd doesn't look very big it's like it gives you the sense of place of this pre-assembly type of thing but when Jack comes out they want it to be big they want it yeah. to have the Wembley feeling without Wembley yeah, right I right. mean that's the whole idea this is supposed to be his debut so my guess is that they looked at it and it didn't look as big as they wanted it to especially if they shot it on location at the beach so then they decided to do wides and intimates so that's all you have is You have a lot of Jack saying, you know, that he comes out and does help. And you know, help me, help me, and all this stuff, which I thought was great—an emotional connection to what he's going through. But then they did this sort of—they would do not not big wides. They didn't show you the whole crowd, but they filled the screen with faces, and then they would do uh, sharp cuts from these wide, faceful screens to then showing us Lily and showing us you know, and then showing us the people we knew. And they really just wanted to focus on the fact that he's now being exposed to this big group of people. And my guess is that the. The motion control stuff didn't show that. And I've been in that situation on TV and in film all the time. When they pay for the shot, it's up there and they're like, oh, this didn't look like what I wanted to look like. And when it's background, when it's it's literally you need bodies to make it look that way, or you have the environment that you can't control like a beach, all you can do is cut around it and do different things. So that's my guess, but I don't know if that's the case. I just know that that first shot that I'm talking about was used for that reason and it didn't look big. So that was that is why I guess that way. Well, it it
0: gets back to one of the great interviews with Danny Boyle that I read back when Steve Jobs came out, where he he came out and he said, you know, I'm uncomfortable with this kind of money. Uh, This is not (laughs) fair. This is this is not my style of filmmaking. And he had as a guy who's made a movie in space and he's made movies. I mean, he's done some big productions and Bollywood. Right. And so this this movie felt very much when you when you talk about the look and feel of it on screen, it felt very much like a a film that an accomplished, uh, you know, bigger budget director attempts to make of a very intimate story of a small fairy tale story. And I think that that worked so well for me. I mean, it really took me back to uh, um, uh, Slumdog Millionaire. Like it
2: just it it had that that sort of uh, visual feeling to me. And there were great shots in it too. I have to tell you guys this anecdote and I didn't put it in the show notes here. And I don't know how I'm going to talk about it, but you mentioned that you saw this on a big screen and that these things lend itself to big screen. So I saw it in a theater in downtown Portland called the Living Room Theaters. So, and Pete, you might be familiar with <laughs> yeah. it. And, uh, and it, so it's a little small intimate thing, just like four rows of 15 seats each. And, um, and it was not well attended. It wasn't important. You know, it was the opening day. I saw the early show, whatnot. But uh, one of the things that's happened to me in my aerial uh, cinematography, things is I've done a lot of blimp work and people always ask us how we get through uh, blimp shows that go from anywhere from four to 10 hours long uh, without bathrooms. And a lot of times I tell, talk about the fact that the pilots bring bottles on board um, and it's a really intimate seating in the, in the, uh, in the blimp and you just, you know, you kind of take care of your needs uh, going up there, right? Well, this is the first time that I've ever been in a theater and someone did that in the back row. Oh, what? Wow. And I was in, yeah, in Portland, in the living room theaters. And I have a, just me and a woman in the row next to us. And I look over at her and the guy is clearly visible. And I only bring this up because this is the theater experience, but I'm in this small <laughs> intimate cinema and there's this old man who's just, I mean, and you can hear it very plainly <laughs> over the film he he's been in a cup behind me and you turn around. We don't have barriers. They're like tiny oh seats God. and I can see the guy. I mean, he can see me. Why? What is that? Uh, no. Was he ambulatory? Like, could he walk? He was standing. So I <laughs> he assume was so. I don't. Uh, well, yeah. Like how uh, he's. Sta- oh, man. It was so. uh I, and I, the woman, in, uh, the woman in, in, and me in our role, were just like, what? And then uh, the credits are rolling and she and I just stayed up and I'm like, did he just, and she said, yes, he did. It was the weirdest thing. Why? Like literally they're just outside. It is, you're going to miss five minutes of the movie. Come on, buddy.
0: <laughs> I feel like my theater experience was better than yours.
2: It was. It and, uh, uh, I also didn't get the benefit of seeing the cool camera shots on the big screen yeah so yeah no pee and oh my <laughs> goodness
0: that's horrible
2: well i don't know it's yeah. funny i think i don't know it, it, it's happened this is something why would it happen it's gonna happen yeah. anywhere
0: i guess i buy it at the living room theaters in portland oregon
2: oh uh, yeah generally he was kind of an elderly sure looking man but still Gosh, you gotta make it, it you gotta make that choice okay <laughs> uh, well we uh, have been on these things all day uh this morning uh the film board we did our grand re-ranking on flick Chart all day we gathered for a mega marathon session re-ranking our more than 80 film board films on flick Chart. Uh, We live stream the whole thing just like we're doing now, which is kind of a fun thing that we're doing. But I'm not sure how to promote that live stream because it's really long and silly. Uh, But if you're interested in it, it, uh, visit thenextreal.com and come join us on our Discord server for details on how to watch. But in the meantime, check out our full fresh re-ranking at flickchart.com slash TNR Film Board. Now, Andy's not here. Uh, Pete, are I'm you in and ready to uh, go? Uh, excellent. Oh so yes. Let's go ahead and add yesterday to the mix. Pete, where do we start?
0: Uh, <laughs> first up, we have yesterday versus Kingsman, the golden circle. I'm going to pick Kingsman. Really? Yeah. Kingsman, yeah. the second Kingsman. I don't know if you remember what we went
2: I through do. this morning. I do. And Andy brought up a point that made me remember something that I really disliked about Kingsman. But I still I'm still going with
3: Kingsman. Yeah, I'm, I'm with JJ because I really enjoy the whole... Comic book aspect of of Golden Circle, and uh, there's just a, as I said, there's a few quibbles on on story that I just have that became barriers to me, just really full out loving this one. So Golden
0: Circle, well, my heart is broken. I am yesterday yeah.
3: all the way, hands down, yeah.
0: hands down. all the way. Yes, yesterday, Kingsman but takes Kingsman it. takes it. uh Here we go. Yesterday versus Insurgent, two thousand fifteen.
3: Yesterday, yes, yesterday,
0: yesterday for me as well climbing up the ranks uh how about yesterday versus the dark knight rises look there he is in the poster he's dark climbing knight out of me. the pit yeah yes he is and i like dark knight on i this one. will take yesterday on this one i also will take yesterday and yesterday versus the born legacy i will pick yesterday and yesterday on this one. yesterday and how about yesterday versus the finest hours yesterday Yesterday. Yesterday. And yesterday. How about yesterday and Hail Caesar? (laughs) Ha (laughs) ha ha. I'm
2: going to say Hail Caesar.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Me too. I'm going to say yesterday and that's okay. Hail Caesar takes it. That means yesterday is now number
1: 44. It's right on there in the middle. Our flick chart right it is there right in the middle. there like in it. the middle.
0: Now, if we were to go by the algorithm, uh that should take us to two and a half stars
2: uh over mm-hmm. at letterbox.com. So yeah. I'm gonna do a little better than that. I'm gonna say it's a three and a half and a like. It's still a weird story, and I really wish We could have done more about it that's there. I need to get out of the full screen here. But um, yeah, I'm going to say three and a half and a like for me. How about you guys?
3: That's fair. That is about where I would fall with this one. Three and a half and a like.
0: I, um, I On my own flick chart, I, we, we didn't even ask where it ended up on your own flick charts. On mine, it ended up at 160 out of 1094. Oh. It performed very, very well. And so, uh, again, on the algorithm, Ooh, this should be high. a four and a half star movie over on Letterboxd. I'm going to knock it down a half star. That ending bit, the cold hand of the copyright code reaching into this movie really burned me at the end in spite of a lot of great, <laughs> great stuff going on in this movie. So uh, I'm, I am four
2: stars and a like. That's pretty cool. That's about three and uh, seven, five, seven, oh, something like that. And a like for us, that's a happy place for this movie to end up. Where do we go from here next month? The film board is taking a break. We're going to do a hiatus here in July. We try to do that every year, try to give everyone a break. Uh, It might not be as big a break this year as in years past because we have so many darn shows that we're doing, but that's a good thing. Uh, What is happening on the main show? Pete, TNR, what will people be hearing there?
0: Well, we just wrapped up uh, our last show on our epic Ingrid Bergman series which was really fun we ended up doing uh, a whole slew of movies and a very wide swath of her life uh, on film and so that was great but so we're taking July off and when we pick up in August we're going to be starting off nine films in uh, the Robin Hood lore Nine Robin Hood films spanning nearly nine hmm. uh, nine hundred years, nearly a hundred <laughs> years of filmmaking in <laughs> Robin Hood stories. So we've got a very broad set of films. Are
2: you doing the Disney?
0: Yeah, Disney yeah, and the Rat Pack on
2: through the forest. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, love it. And then yeah. uh, for the Marvel movie minute, have we finished Iron Man yet?
0: You know, by the time you hear this, if you're listening oh. to it in your podcast feed yesterday, and I yesterday. mean Monday. <laughs> would yes. Have been our final episode last week. As we're listening to this, we had the great Tommy Handsome uh doing uh five straight days of credits, and I love it. I'm telling you, listen to a couple of them. It there. was Fantastic. a and If you haven't Good heard comedy. his hey clippy, is Microsoft Office clippy joke, is, <laughs> I can't think of it. Uh, Iron Man, you look like you're trying to take over Afghanistan. Can I help with that? Like, I mean. This stuff is rich here are the original, uh, and then uh, on Monday, July first, our very last episode of the of the show went live, uh, and our guest was Alex Robinson of the Star Wars Minute. If you are okay. a movie by oh. minute fan, uh, Alex is the award winning uh, comic artist and storyteller and one of the lead originators of the movie by minute podcast category uh, with cool. star wars minute so they've uh, they 've done a lot, and he was very gracious with his time to join us for our final episode, so he gets the post credit sequence, which was great. Uh, uh, cool. and, and so that was a lot of fun. So season two will kick off in 2020 with the incredible Hulk. But uh, if you haven't
2: listened to Iron Man, it is totally binge worthy starting now. Also, I just mentioned uh, Discord there with FlickChart and at thenextreel.com. You can grab a link to hang out with us on our Discord server. We gather with a big group of film folks there all the time around the clock and around the globe. That's right. Around the world to discuss lots of remarkable things from throughout the entertainment universe. There are specific chats about some of our shows. So come on and join our gang to interact with us on the Internet. We're fun 91% Ninety-one percent of the time, right, guys? And as <laughs> Just always, not in that's where we'll keep. Well, you know, it's it's evolution worthy if you're in Pokemon Go thing. That's as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> as uh, as always, that's where we'll keep this conversation going there on our Discord channel uh, channel. But for this one, say goodnight, Pete Wright. All you need is love, and one more word from Steve Sarmento. Summer Hondo. <laughs> At the next reel, when the movie ends, our conversation begins. Till next.
0: Here on the film board, we have covered quite a variety of great page to screen adaptations over the years from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns.
1: To horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt.
0: And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Eggers' tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man,
1: and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune.
0: And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David non nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic.
1: It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to the slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories.
0: And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu.
1: That's right. TheNextReel.com slash Originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows.
0: So what are you waiting for? Head to TheNextReel.com slash Originals
2: and get your next read today.